All right. Welcome to Bonnie and Bob, conversation with Bonnie and Bob, number eight. Number eight, and we're recording this on Saturday evening. I think that's important to say because typically we've been doing these on Friday afternoons or Saturday afternoons. And tonight, Bob and I are in rare form on <laughs> Saturday <laughs> Saturday evening. And <laughs> sounds like we have both been handling some fairly heavy situations with uh, loved ones. So we bring that to this podcast. And we also bring um, an interest in having a good topical conversation, possibly about 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, you there guys not be like me. I mean, <laughs> you may have definitely been thinking about 1 Corinthians 6. And for many of you, you might be going, nope, that has not actually been in mind at all. However, um, Tamara, my wife, was telling me yesterday or the day before, she said they did an unofficial poll on TikTok asking people how often they think of the Roman Empire. <laughs> they would just ask random people, how often do you think of the Roman Empire? And men, the large majority of men, think of the Roman Empire four to five times per day. What? This is a joke. I don't think so. We talked about it a lot. And I don't know what, what they mean by Roman Empire. But I think that it, it, I think I think of the Roman Empire as a minister always in the works of Paul and studying the scriptures and studying in that time period, I think about the Roman empire quite a bit. So oh, me it's, too. Not, it's not uncommon. Fascinating. It's, I, it was one of the longest empires, a thousand years of role, one of the longest empires, most successful empires. I mean, it had lots of foibles, but one of the single longest lasting in recorded history. Well, this, this, version of recorded history anyway well and the writings that we have and as regard as our sacred texts you know even devotionally um and for our faith came from that time period and you know it's not it, it's really not that far-fetched to think of that but anyway i only say that to say <laughs> you know who's been thinking about first corinthians 6 well i have been because <laughs> I sometimes love to listen to differing um, religious radio stations from my own. I, I'm not one of these people that need to hear what I believe in. I like to hear what I don't believe in or what I have. Um, Me too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like developed from that so that. You never grow if you don't listen to what others are thinking. You, how could you possibly grow if you stay in an echo chamber of everybody thinking the same thing? That's that's when you actually get into the worst uh, problems and the and the and the worst um, ruts yeah. in your own thinking. And, and there's no challenge to grow. No, you're you're fine. Right. No. I love this fact. But there's no challenge to grow, and you don't get an opportunity to articulate your own beliefs 
if everybody's just kind of nodding their head going, yeah, I see, I see what you're saying. And I agree with it. You also, you also never get a chance to possibly change your own thinking because okay. how could you possibly suddenly go, oh, my goodness, that's a great point. I have never considered that. I need to adjust some of my thinking because what you just said now in light of all these other things, I've just realized that's actually a great point. And I see I have a flaw and a fault and I've been trying to figure out in my logic over here, there was this one thing that didn't make sense. What you just said fills that and, and makes everything else relevant and makes sense. So anyway. Well, and I think what's interesting is so often our metanoia happens in relationship. Oh, man. And that is such a calming um, effect on me. Remember and Bonnie that. uses big terms so that for those of you who are unfamiliar with metanoia, metanoia means thoughts that are higher than human thoughts. And in scripturally, it specifically means the way God's worldview is, his mm -hmm. thoughts. That's what we are hoping to attain. It's also known in the New Testament, and AKA for that is the mind of Christ is, is, is synonymous with the metanoia and the crazy thing is it's the word in the new testament mostly translated to repent which you're thinking but i thought repent means to go another direction well it means to have a higher thought and specifically that's always what it meant in the greek and specifically in the new testament as paul used it metanoia meant not only a higher thought but the ultimate higher thought that is the thoughts that god has about you and his creation that's what she she's throwing it out there like you all know it. And and because, again, I just bragged on her at church. Our church uses terms like that. And but for those of you who don't know that one right off the bat, I'm actually going to interject it because Bonnie's speaking over a couple of people's heads. <laughs> OK, well, let's just be more like um, um, the, the words escaping me, but. We listen to a podcast in common. You and I both do the Unconditional Love podcast by Malcolm Smith, which yeah. um, hasn't had a new one in a couple months. And so right. we, uh, because he's- BD been, Recovery, Malcolm. Be, yeah, been dealing with that. Uh, C, I don't call it the big C word. I call it the little C word because we, it's just a thing. It's just a thing that we have to be in relationship the with. The big C word is Christ. Yeah. <laughs> not, that, that, every, yeah. every other one, including the tiny C, has to bow its knee. Not Catholic or cancer or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, -oh. uh, so. The, he said that one of his associates actually made, uh, oh gosh, this great connection between metanoia and paranoia. And, oh man, what a beautiful uh, phrase and turn of phrase and just in our own thinking, knowing that metanoia is to relate or convert to or to change one's mind into mm -hmm. the mind of of Christ or the way that God sees things. And the paranoia as we understand it 
oh man, exactly opposite of that. You know, the paranoia is this scattered, anxious, ungrounded, worried, fear-based disposition. Right. And I love that his associate brought that up and that just to, to kind of consider that in this space of renewing and transforming our minds and transforming ourselves in um, or allowing the spirit to transform us as we relate and luxuriate ourselves in, into <laughs> <laughs> we I think we could probably have a whole playbook of different language and and speak in these terms and it's just it's the Greek and Hebrew and us trying to be you know more in line with some of that instead of the translated ways that some of the English translators have allowed us to think um which are more kind of oppressive um definitely uh, results focused behavior modification focused um and not really with the essence and the identity of a person or the identity of a person in Christ. And that's really how Paul saw the gospel is as a Jew speaking as a Jew and as so many things that the way in which Paul spoke, he was seeing his entire religious framework in a new light in the personhood of Jesus right. and allowing himself who once revered the law, the Jewish law as the redemption back to the garden, that, that, that was the key. He had a revelation that was given to him by the spirit and given to him to see that in Jesus, God satisfies the whole of our requirements. And that is so different than what we hear in our preaching. It's so different. Paul was seeing things that is Paul was kind of this radical, like he he was seeing things for the first time that God was faithful in Jesus. God was faithful to, to G God was faithful to God's self. And that's how God has been setting things up since Abraham is that God is fulfilling God's promises in God's self on behalf. And we are the, that brings tears to my eyes. We're the, we're the beneficiaries of this beautiful covenant relationship and dance of love. And that's been the discovery, right? For thousands of years, the, uh, the discovery of ours to, to know who we are. Right. And I think that God has spoken in so many different ways in so many different centuries of time through so many different people. And as Hebrews 1 says, and in these last days, he has spoken to us through his very own, right. his very own begotten, no one like the one. And so Paul, when we read Paul, we read Paul's excitement. We read Paul's excitement. And I don't think, <laughs> I don't think that it was Paul's like well-rounded, thorough, like, hey, I've got it all hashed out. You know, I have done all the research. I've got it all squared away. 
And so I'm going to give you my final argument and I'm going to give you all these justifications. Paul is just kind of this excited journalist, like, kind of like this is what I'm seeing and this is what I'm figuring out. And I think was inviting a dialogue. And unfortunately, we're not allowed to dialogue with these texts historically. You know, we're we're supposed to take them, you know, as our differing languages interpret them. And I think it's important to go back to some of that stuff and and try to understand God's opinion and God's thoughts. Anyway, that was a lot uh, there. Did you want to add something to that? Or Just, yeah. Um, one of the things that even people that I've been friends with for decades, literally decades, and talking about this stuff. And when we talk about Paul, it's so... Um, I'm amazed, but it's only because to me, it's so second nature because I'm weird. I'm a weirdo. I don't hardly think about anything but the Bible. And I just think everybody else is right there with me, just constantly playing out all the things, especially in the New Testament and, and in the timeline that they all exist. Right. So it's, to me, I think it's just self-evident. And what so what what I was explaining to this friend again, I was reminding him, you gotta remember that when Paul finished writing his last books before he dies, while he's in jail for years in Rome, facing execution, which he then um, received knowingly, he knew that's why he was going. Jesus told him that that's why you're going. You're going because I want you to be a witness before Nero, but he's not going to accept it. You're going to die. But that's my plan for you. And Paul's like, I'm good with that. That is great. Um, because as he said in some of his letters, that some might, might receive the message. And, and because he doesn't, we don't know who's going to receive it and who isn't. It's not up to us to know. It's part of the love message that what we do as Paul calling himself, he called himself a doulos, which is a word for on a Greek ship, a huge Greek ship. They had three levels of rowers on the biggest ones. And the top ones were guys that were just going along and you could get a cheap ticket for being one of the rowers on the top of the ship. You just sat up there and you rowed these oars. The middle ones were paid professionals. That's what they did for a living. They went in and they punched their clock and they worked for a couple of weeks on a ship. But the lowest ones, the doulos, they were called. These are the lowest of the low. They were usually people who owed so much tax or whatever that they couldn't possibly ever pay it back. Mm. And they usually were lower people in the strata. So no, they had no relatives to help them out of their fix, their debt. And so they were told, you're going to be a permanent slave. They were chained to the oars and they never left until they died. The only way free from the oar was when you died, they tossed you off the ship. And there was no funeral because these were the worthless dregs of society, mm. as Paul called himself an omerats, um, uh, which is this that literally the translation, it means the dregs, the bottom of the the when you're drinking a beer and you get to the bottom back then, they didn't filter it. And there was this stuff that was gross and you just poured it out. That's what the 
people who lived at the bottom of these ships and they actually did the majority of the work. Their, their oars were the deepest and these guys, blood, their hands were just bloody masses and they would most of them didn't last for more than two or three weeks. That's the term Paul called himself. He said, I'm a doulos for the Lord. Mm. I am chained to this to my death and mm. I know it and I do it because of my love for him who loves me. Mm. I mean, that is that beautiful or what? It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um, I mean, it, it also reminds me of like the term bond servant, you know, when you go it's back. A, it's the begin. identical thing. It's from the Hebrew yeah. that they would, and it's the identical thing. A bond servant was one. You, you have a debt, you can't pay it. You've gotten yourself in a, in a fix. Somebody comes along and bids for you. And I want to one day do a whole thing on the slavery in the Bible because it's beautiful. I mean, I think that like it was for Paul's love that he called himself that. I don't, I don't think for a minute that Paul thought, I mean, you know, there's two sides, there's two ways of, of thinking about our value and we can have this idea that we are worthless and worms, or we can have this idea that we are the beloved and we are beautiful and brilliant. And then I think that there's a spectrum there where at any given time, you might think of yourself based on your behavior or what you do or accomplish. You can think of yourself at any place on this spectrum. But when I think when you and when a person encounters the loveliness of God and it has been made personally real and you realize because you know you and you know what you think and you know what you do. How could this altogether lovely, altogether wonderful, altogether pure love me and want and desire me, need me? That puts a person in a place of calling himself the lowest of the low. Like I, I don't think anybody could think of themselves any other way. Although that one that maybe it allows this this feeling of how could you love me that same love lifts up and lifts the head and lifts the countenance and lifts the identity and says because you're of me you are me and I'm you and there's a relationship and I think that's where the metanoia right. happens. That's where the resistance happens. And that's why it's, in the right context, you can really somewhat in a sense, think of yourself as the lowest because you just right. think. No. And, and when Paul is, yeah, when Paul is saying he was the lowest, he said, I'm the servant of all. He, again, it's sometimes that can even then go, well, it sounds like he's bragging because Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom will be the one that's the servant of all. Right. But Paul, again, what happens with metanoia, what happens when you experience agape, God himself, the, the absolute pure love of God, when you experience Jesus 
face to face, as Paul said he did in Arabia, in Arabia, after his his horse knocking off his horse experience, and he's on one path where he believed he see he had a he had a thought about who God was. He was passionate about it and he believed it, but he believed in a God who was a legalist. That was the, and he was going to be the best legalist there was. He really believed that's what God was like. So he passionately was trying to be as the God he served. But when he experienced God through the person of Jesus, the resurrected person of Jesus, when Jesus, the light of Jesus, hits him on that on that horse on the road and knocks him off and then speaks to him and says why are you Saul Saul why are you persecuting me Saul is absolutely dumbfounded he's like totally confused and you think about it because he knows this is God he knows there's nothing else in the universe that could have done this inexplicable thing that just happens to him. And that's why he says, Lord, who art thou? Who is this? Who, wait a minute. I, I am, I am like, my mind is reeling. Obviously I thought, you know, that I thought I was doing everything to serve you, but I know this has got to be God, but who are you? Because this isn't the God that I know. And Jesus said, because he said, why are you persecuting me? And in the Greek, it means you personally. Why are you personally persecuting me personally? Mm. And yet Jesus isn't even on the planet. But see, that's how connected Jesus is to us. He's not ashamed to call us not just brothers. We're one. So when Paul was persecuting the new believers in 30 and 40 AD, right after the cross. Jesus is taking it as a personal attack on himself. And he's like, this is it. This is going to be the greatest of all my apostles, one who wasn't even with me, but he will meet all the requirement because he is going to be with me because he's going to be with me, though it's only going to be my resurrected self. Hmm. Paul's the only apostle who's called an apostle, who never saw Jesus pre-crucifixion. Well, he did. He probably was at the foot of the cross or somewhere there, and in multiple cases. But on the opposite side, mm. when he was a Pharisee. But Paul meets Jesus. He's meeting Jesus. Something is happening. He knows it's supernatural. So he asks who it is. Jesus said, it's me. It's Jesus of Nazareth that you are persecuting. And then he continues and he said, and Paul, it's hard to go against the pricks, meaning as I've been trying to stop you from what you're doing and you, because of your self-righteousness and your personal belief that what the God that you're serving is the God, the true God of Israel. But I'm telling you, I'm here to tell you, it's not. Mm. You've been going against probably even your own conscience, but something in you, your legalism has been driving you on because you, you made a personal vow to be the best of the best and you are the best of the best. And in doing so, you become a murderer, a mass murderer of my 
church in trying to stomp out this new this new group of what you call pseudo Judaic believers that a Messiah came, which Paul did not believe had, and that you believe that these people need to be stomped out because they are causing good Jews and Gentiles, but at that time it was primarily Hebraic Jewish people were being, as, as Paul thought, stupefied into this, this group of cultic leaders, Peter and James and all these people. He saw them as a huge cult. And so he's out there literally first sanctifying the murders and then asking for papers to go out and do the murders himself. And he got it all the way from the top dogs in Jerusalem. Because this is all before Rome crushes them in 70 AD. Because everything Paul did, he never saw the destruction of Rome. That's the thing that people don't get that I was explaining to my friend. He believed, as did the disciples in Rome, Peter and James and all of them, because of, and I won't go into it right now, but the astronomical signs that were present in the heavens during those decades, that it had to be the time of the tabernacles, the second coming of Christ, the last of the feasts, right then, because the signs were in the heavens. Mm. And when 70 AD came and Rome is crushed, they knew then, well, then, wait a minute, something's not right. And Jesus didn't return now. So that means it's got to be sometime way in the future, because this astronomical collection of signs in the heavens isn't going to occur again, according to our calculations, for thousands of years. So that's what, when you have to have all that in mind, when you're reading all of Paul's writings, because he finished writing before, like in 66, 67, 68 AD, before the destruction of Rome, when there's, when now there's no possibility for the things that seemed to be they were waiting for and even james and peter in jerusalem the head of the church are now having to flee per the words of jesus when you see these things occur get the heck out of jerusalem because the crap is getting ready to hit the fan and it did and all those that believed truly believed jesus words left and they were not destroyed but the few that remained all of them died in 70 AD when, when Rome crushed it. But anyway, that's the, those are some of the kinds of things that I'm explaining to my friend. I go, so in Paul's mind, all these things he's talking about, guys, stop acting this way and start acting this way. And Because to him, Jesus is returning any day. You yeah. need to be walking in love towards your brothers. So if, if, if women putting, you know, sh- sh- cutting their hair off and not wearing covering in the temple... If that's going to cause somebody to not come to Christ, because for four to six hundred years in Ephesus, this is how they've been in and, and, and Corinthians. This is how they've been worshiping. They go to a temple and it was everywhere. The temple of Dionysus. And when you went in there, you looked for the women with no covering. And you went and you said, here's my hundred dollars. Let's go have sex so I can get a blessing from the, the goddess. So, so then now these women are going to the church and not covering their heads and the men are coming in and going, here's a hundred dollars. Where do we go to sleep? So I, cause imagine hundreds of years, that's all you've known. So Paul's like, you're causing confusion. So out of love, please stop causing some to stumble. They, this right. is something so drastically new, but that wasn't to be 
Paul wasn't writing those things for us 2,000 years later to be going, women should keep silent in the church. Right. I mean, it was, it's, it, the dynamics are so incredibly being twisted into our modern day culture. But when you just take a little time to go yeah. back and look and put these things, that's why some of the best teachers, they explain exactly. Now, Paul, when he wrote Ephesians, this is in 60, you know, I'm not going to get these terms, but, but 64 AD to 65 AD, he's writing this letter and he took, it's like you have to see. So the first gospel doesn't come for another 20, 30 years after Paul's dead. Yeah, because that's when they, the, the other apostles, Jesus' apostles realized, oh, my gosh, Jesus is coming back now. We need to start writing some of this stuff down. What Jesus said, because we don't know how it could be hundreds of years. That's why there were no gospels written earlier than that. They were expecting him any time in their lifetimes hmm. that you start putting that into the equations and you go, no wonder these books weren't written. Cause see, that's some of the reasons why some theologians are trying to say, Oh, this is all just stuff made up by people late long after Jesus was dead. If they were really his disciples, they would have written it down early. And it's like, no, you don't understand their mindset. They really did. They really thought in their lifetime, they were going to see the return of Jesus. So they were just trying to hold this little this little group of Christians together till Jesus returned. No, that's so good. And I think that sets us up to maybe um, at least read the scripture that we were talking about at the beginning. Um, sure. First Corinthians six, uh, nine. I'm going to read it. Uh, I'm going to read it a couple different ways. First, cool. in the English that like gives us some of the general words that most people read in their Bibles and that maybe even many of the people listening have heard in condemnation to themselves um, from... Newer translations, in other words. <laughs> yep, exactly. So, 6, 9, uh, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, robbers. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you used to be. But you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. I have personally received uh, more than one letter uh, quoting this text against me uh, because some of the translations that we read this list use the word homosexual. And so I think it's interesting that this is not an exhaustive list, but because we definitely <laughs> um, could add things to this list. But I would love to just chat for a moment about what this means. It sounds ominous, 
to hear, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? That sounds like people that do bad stuff won't go to heaven. That's how it, that's how it sounds. To Both the, of those things are completely inaccurate to the gospel, to what the Bible says, clearly. I, so just riff on that for a second. Just riff on that. <laughs> right. So first of all, the first thing is will not inherit is the word kleronomia, which means to receive an inheritance, to obtain an inheritance as the children of Israel did when they cast lots to receive the promised land, to be heirs of a thing. So in other words, what Paul is saying is, again, you have to stand back and look at the big context of what he's saying, because so often the way that um, twisters of the gospel do their finest work is by going to a tree. And rather than looking at the tree, they go up and they go to an individual branch on the tree. And then they go find one individual leaf on the tree. And then they turn the leaf over and they find a piece of dirt on the, on the back of the leaf. And then they focus in on it. And then they go there. That's the God I'm looking for. This is what it means. But Paul in this whole book is doing something over and over again. He's trying to explain them as he did in all of his the things that the people in the nation of Israel would have understood because of the setup that they had for a thousand years of God, of having a high priest. The rest of the world didn't have the exact same parallel understanding of having a singular high priest who entered who played a role of one who was entering a covenant with God Almighty on their behalf. And when he was successful and would come out each year, they all knew they were the recipients of the, the now blessings that they were going to walk in for the coming year because the high priest walking out of the temple every year after having offered the sacrifice and walking out alive they all would have jumped and rejoiced because they knew it meant God accepted the sacrifice and there was nothing but blessings ahead for them for the coming year. Israel had been doing that for hundreds of years. They all had the benefit. That's why when Paul writes Hebrews, and I totally believe he wrote the book of Hebrews, he is going over that and saying, guys, don't you remember? Look, we've, we've had this benefit. Let's just look at what God, the setup that God gave us, of, which is better than all the other nations. It's the clearest parable of anyone. We of all people should get this. How can you be missing it? Right. And so that's why he was like, guys, how are you, like he did to some of the others, how are you being deceived? No, exactly. Um, yeah. To the rest, Paul was a little more gentle because they didn't have that. So he's having to try and take these Hebraic things that they had been set up for. They were set up for success, though a lot, still a lot of them missed it. But he's like now coming over and he's being all things to all people. And he's coming to all these different Gentiles with all these different cultures, all these different backgrounds, all these different understandings of God and how, 
how successful living works and how you get it and how you acquire it by giving sacrifices to gods. And there are all these variations. And he's like, with his mind, God gave him this brilliant mind to be able to speak to each and every group. And in many cases, all of the people in a single congregation where there were Jews and Greeks and Romans with people who previously worshiped Dionysus and, and, and other gods and Mars and all these, and, and, and post, you know, Ju Judaistic people who, and, and he's able to give metaphors to all of them simultaneously. <laughs> that takes a tremendous kind of a teacher. Mm. So now here we have this. And the first thing he says is, these people aren't going to inherit. They're not going to receive an inheritance. And of what? The kingdom of God. Well, the kingdom of God isn't talking again. Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. It's I'm I'm my being here is to announce that the kingdom of God is not just here. Guys, get ready for a, a new mind blown. It's in you now. So then what Paul is doing, he is trying to explain to them that Jesus, the reason that we call Jesus Lord, mm. and again, as he then ex explained to the Hebrews, you guys are going to get this. He's the ultimate high priest. He's a high priest that even supersedes the Levitical high priests yeah. because he's not even a Levite high priest. He's a higher order, that of Melchizedek. You know, the same one whom all our father Abraham gave tithes to. Right. And while you were giving tithes through Abraham to Melchizedek, including Levites, which yeah. no one gives tithes to somebody unless they're above them. So he's saying even the Levites, who were the high priests, they were all through their father Abraham before them. They were giving homage and giving recognition to an even higher order than themselves. So uh, if they were the, if the high priest Caiaphas was a high priest, he had a high priest. Or as Paul called Jesus, a king of kings, a ruler of rulers, a high priest of high priests. So Caiaphas was beneath Jesus. And Jesus was of an even higher order, going all the way back through the lineage to Abraham, who gave a tithe to Melchizedek, who he says is just like Jesus. They're the same order, neither having father, neither having mother. I mean, he goes through these things, but he's trying to say in an allegorical way, guys, this is big stuff. This is like, this is like way beyond any Judaic, Hebraic, this is... This is the ones who even our father, Abraham, who was a special people. He was like, this one is above me. This one I give homage to. I'm not going to give any to these kings, but I will give homage to this one because I'm beholden to this one because he represents almighty God on, the, on earth. So the kingdom of God, when Jesus kept talking in so many of his parables, over a third of them were the kingdom is like, the kingdom is like, the kingdom is like. And we've turned it in the church into heaven is like, heaven is like, because it said the kingdom of heaven. But no, they just didn't like kingdom of God 
the, a lot of the translators, but the word is exactly the same, but they've translated it kingdom of heaven. So now we've gotten in our mind, in the, in the Christian mind, heaven means something that happens after you die. Right. But that's not, Jesus never was talking about that. He was talking about the here, the now, the kingdom of God has come. It's here. It's in you. It's upon you everywhere. It's pervasive. It's in, it's baked into the loaf now. It's never leaving and it's never going to stop growing here. And if you want to be in that kingdom, the kingdom of a, where God is, the kingdom of God. And when he said God, then John kept bringing out. And that is a kingdom where agape, shepherd, loving, servant, worship, or, or putting yourself second to serve others because you know who you are. You don't have to serve to become important. You've found out that you are important to God. So out of that abundance of knowing who you are and whose you are, you get to serve. Right. You become a doula. You become an under rower. You become a love slave. As Paul said, as I am. Wow. So now in context of all that, he's saying, look, when you were broken, when you didn't know who you were, when you were in the kingdom of darkness, when all those who had been teaching and showing you were only showing you in part and they were blind, leading the blind, you didn't know any better. And some of you in your brokenness became, then he lists all these things. And they're all people who just had a little, little bit of power through luck of the draw in life and found a way to exploit it to try and feel like they were important. And we end up with this list of all these people, swindlers and, and deceivers. And, and again, the word male uh, th that has been translated just since the, just before the sixties for the first time ever was translated homosexual had never been translated that way before. And the, the best of the Greek deepest uh, classical and Koine Greek um, experts say that word was not homosexual. That's ridiculous to think that it was. First of all, that would only cover male homosexuality, which yeah. then like, so if you're going to exploit this group, you're not because a man is sleeping with a man, you're not going to exploit women sleeping with a woman in the same, it doesn't even make sense. They said this word, again, was more in, if you could possibly, which so often it's so hard to get a current modern cultural word for word translation. But if you wanted to, if you tried, if you had to force it, the closest word I could say that I would put there is pimp. <laughs> because it means someone who makes a living by selling the flesh off someone that they are trying to control by lording over with their strength of whatever that is and that's where the maleness comes in because in in the in biology you typically think of the masculine the male biological male has a more sturdiness generally to their frame and often in their brokenness their version of brokenness exploited over females and then they sell them off. And that's actually a more accurate usage, according to these experts, of what that word means is male bedding is that those 
the males who are exploiting others, be they smaller, younger males or women, selling them sexually. We have it today. It's called sex slaves. That would be what Paul was talking about on that particular word. And all the other words have meanings similar to these that are oftentimes beyond the individual singular English word we've given them. But what they all have in common is somebody with some form of their, in their brokenness, they have a little higher status in society because of the luck of the draw of the culture they happen to live in. And using that. I think I love, um, I think I love (laughs) the thing that I sent you earlier this week that, um, that said 2000 years from now, people will not understand the difference between butt dial and booty call. And booty call. And Perfect. this is exactly, exactly why the Bible is hard to understand. <laughs> because when right. someone's writing and using words to express what they are feeling or seeing in their environment, that's not going to translate very well 2,000 years later. Right. You know, we have to do a lot of due diligence and study and reflection to understand what these texts are meaning and to just kind of lift them out and make them mean what we want them to mean, to um, draw lines between people as who is in and who is out and who is going to heaven or right. who has God's favor or what even. And it's not about heaven or hell. This scripture has nothing to do with that. But I know we're out of time. We need to pick this up again because now we haven't even gotten to the second half when Paul says, but many of you were all these things. And then he goes on to explain why no longer are you. But it, but that's, that's a whole nother, that's the second half of this. We're barely scratching the surface. I love but that. I love that. I think it's going to be good. Way, way, I'm, I'm hoping that people through that can kind of go start to see what the culture was like and get into the mind of Paul when he's writing to these people that he's only got a short time. He's got a, he's got a, he's got a whole, he's got, he's trying to like go, guys, there's only a few of us here and Jesus is coming and the kingdom is going to be here. And we're going to be like, we're going to be now elevated to this place of the rest of the world is going to be, we're going to be loving them into the rest, the rest of the nations into the kingdom. Yep. And so, <laughs> I think, this um, day, this I, I hope that later this week, when we record another one of these, that we're still as impassioned about this topic and want to continue. So I would love to say that this is part one, but what I know about Bob and Bonnie is that sometimes Ah! we'll go, yeah. Six months before we get back to this. It might be a little bit of time, but we might get back to it. We might find something else exciting to talk about next week. Um, this has been fun, Bob. Thank you for your time and thank you for this uh, energy. I've loved this and we are out of time. And Sorry so- I ranted so much. I didn't mean to, but I it was I, I just I just want people to be free from this ridiculous teaching that's been going on for decades now that's putting people in bondage and it's so ridiculous it's not it was never intended by paul when he wrote it you and me both that's what we're doing what we're doing um yeah all right so let the peace of god 
which passes all understanding. Guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus until we talk again. God bless you.